Where can I pick that up at? I could interject. Or, um, you have to do and then what you have to do. And <laughs> <laughs> Profound. You have to do what you have to do. Because what else can you do? <laughs> go, go. Or you could slow go or you could no go. Um, in this pandemic, saving enough for retirement is still a big financial worry for many Americans. How much do you think you have to save? A recent study found that on average, you should put away at least two and a half million dollars. The new rule of thumb is you need three million dollars uh, to have some uh, to be able to save for retirement. Welcome to Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to and through retirement. I'm Molly Nelson. I'm the host, Rochelle Smith. She's here. She produces this podcast. I've got Sean Honkamp with me. Sean's a CPA, a retirement income certified professional, and a certified financial fiduciary. Abby Hunt Rods is with us as well. Abby is a retirement income certified professional and a certified financial fiduciary. Okay, before we jump into this magical million dollar mark and, and, and kind of the allure of saving for retirement and how much money do you need? First, I want to know, Sean, Abby, Rochelle, what's the first thing you remember saving up for? What's the first purchase you saved up for? I'm going to say it's like a CD as like a young child. Okay. What CD do you remember? What I'm CD? guessing it was probably NSYNC or Backstreet Boys. I love it. NSYNC or Backstreet Boys. Abby, what's the first thing you remember saving up for? Gosh, that's a great question. I think it was close. I mean, I worked starting at age 12 for my dad, but at the time my parents didn't make me actually purchase anything myself with that money. So I think it was later. later was so what, like some guest jeans, Jabot, yeah. yeah, Z Cavaricis. Loved Buckle. Yeah, in good. High school. You're yeah. a little younger than me. So yeah. I, those were like, <laughs> that's what was hot when, <laughs> when I was in middle school. Sean, what'd you save up for? I'd have to say it was college. I mean, working on the farm, we didn't get paid for working on the farm. Cheap so labor. You through, were cheap labor at well, a young age. I don't know if it's cheap. Try to ask my mom about feeding five boys yeah. and what a trip to the grocery store looked like. But, <laughs> you know, they covered most everything growing up while we were on the farm because we worked on the farm. We would work as well with neighbors but and, and make you know get paid there. But in my mind, it was really just trying to build that, knowing that once I went to college, you know, I was going to be on my own. So. I wonder when your mom was uh, in the child-rearing years, was she like wanting more boys, more? I mean, girls could clearly work on the farm as well, but this worked out for them. Five boys on the farm, again, didn't have to pay you a dime. Right. So my, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a good way. It worked out well for my dad, and, and the neighbors always talked about how we had our own starting basketball team. With the five boys, so we were well-known in the area. Molly, what about you? What did you well, save up for? Well, I did do a little thinking, and I think it was my Pontiac Grand Prix. I remember, I think it was $9,000, and I had $4,000 saved, and I thought I was pretty big deal. Then I did have to take a loan for the other 5000 I think I did take the five-year, and you get those notes in the mail. Remember when you had to, the paper notes came? or I just remember paying that way, but that was my first big purchase that I can remember. So today we're talking about one of the most important things that you're saving for right now, which is your retirement. And is $3 million the $1 million? You know, We talk about a million bucks, and there was a time that it was the magical mark. If you achieved it, you were set for your golden years. But when you see headlines like, is $3 million the new $1 million? Is $1 million really enough to retire on? And then headlines like, out with the $1 million goal? It makes that mark not seem so magical anymore. So what do you need to retire? That's the question we're going to try to answer today. Some good news. If you're listening and you're getting close to retirement and you don't have a million dollars, it's okay. There's not a reason to think that you can't retire and meet your retirement vision. Also, if 
a million doesn't seem like enough and you think you need more, it's possible. It's all based on, Abby, we talk about the retirement vision. That's really where someone's specific number and specific goal needs to start. You're exactly right, Molly. So starting with the vision is kind of the first most important piece because we help a lot of families retire that maybe only have 500,000 or, you know, 300,000, or maybe they do have one or 2 million. Um, But it all really comes down to maximizing the potential of all of the different resources that they have. So, you know, we're in Iowa. So IPERS is a pretty common pension in Iowa. They have IPERS. Um, What social security strategy, you know, might help them maximize the potential of that income source? How much do they want to spend? What kind of lifestyle are they hoping to live in retirement? And kind of pinpointing and and really honing in on some of those different elements so that you can really get everything to work together in the best, most efficient way possible. So today's episode is based on an article that that we all read that said it's $3 million, the new $1 million. We'll put that article in the show notes. But in that article, it said, Sean, that only about 3% of the U.S. population has a net worth of a million dollars. Yeah, the million million dollar mark is a challenge to get to. And we see all the time that you really don't need to get to that mark. There's a, it's a wide spectrum. Some people do need that much and more. There's families that are set up to, you know, accomplish their financial goals with much less. Um, it, it's interesting. One of the questions we get all the time is, uh, you know, you'll we'll talk with a family or meet with a family the first time, and they'll just kind of, you know, they'll throw some numbers out there, and they'll be like, well, how do we look? You know, do we have enough? And it's, they, you know, if people feel like they think they can just kind of share those numbers, and and based on what they have saved, they want to know if that's enough. So that that's where the value of the plan, you know, we we. We, you know, hey, we've got to get all your information. Tell us more. Give it all. Give it all that information to us. Let us do our job, and that next time we connect with you, that's in a more position where we can share that information with our families and let them know that, hey, here's how things look. You know, but it's just kind of interesting how they, you know, they just based on the savings, they they think that, well, tell me the answer. Is that is that right or wrong? And let's talk about those numbers and how some of these numbers do kind of get perpetuated in our society, the 1 million, the 3 million. So to get to the 1 million, I think, again, a lot of assumptions are made. So $1 million, if you have that saved and you do 4% a year, then you'll have $40,000 to live off of. Well, a lot of people look at $40,000 and that's not the lifestyle that they were at right before retirement. So they don't want to downgrade uh, in retirement. So if you keep working the numbers, you know, 2 million, of course, then would be $80,000 a year. 3 million would deliver $120,000 a year. Again, making some assumptions about a 4% rate rate of withdrawal. And for a lot of people right before they retire, $120,000 might be a little bit closer uh, to what they're making. But Abby and Sean, I think there's two problems here. We're making an assumption and we're using a rule of thumb. Yeah, we like to stay away from any general rules of thumb because it's so much more complicated than that. Everybody's situation is, you know, unique and specific to them. And they're going to have different, you know, resources and different investable assets and a different level of tax planning already built in or that needs to be built in, in order to, again, you know, be as efficient as possible. I saw an interesting article, I think it was last night, actually, where they're talking about, you know, back in 1998, the bond yield was 5%. So this 4% withdrawal rule was more than attainable because you still had room for, you know, an extra 1% of risk-free growth. Well, interest rates are at rock bottom right now. So using a 4% withdrawal rule no longer really applies in the same way. 
And that's where having that customized income plan, you know, that pinpoints specifically, okay, you know, we're going to pull from the investable assets for these years and from these different types of accounts because we're going to use that as an opportunity to maximize social security or pension. Um, so really kind of no general rule of thumb is going to work. Um, and it, that's the importance of the customized plan. The question we're trying to answer today is 3 million, the new 1 million. So let's just go back to 3 million for a minute. Okay, Rochelle, you're 20 years old. Yeah, let's pretend. I know you're okay. not. You're not too far off of that, but <laughs> you think three million, that's what I need to retire. Do you know much how much you have to start saving at twenty years old to get to three million by the time you hit retirement age? I do not. It's almost a thousand bucks a month. Do you guys know a lot nope. of twenty year olds who have a thousand bucks a month to put away for retirement? No, because most of them are probably still paying for college. Right. Yeah. I was paying for that Grand Prix when yeah. I took the five year <laughs> loan on the five thousand dollars. I think I paid 120 a month and that felt like a stretch when I was twenty. So to get to that three million mark, you'd have to start saving about nine hundred and sixty dollars a month at, for forty-seven years at age twenty. Now let's say you worked, uh, you didn't start saving at twenty, which most people really don't. They're usually yeah still in school or just starting their careers. So you start at thirty. Well, then you're looking at $1,800 a month. Let's say you get to age 50 and you decide you want $3 million in retirement savings. And let's just assume at 50, you've done nothing, which means you're a little bit behind, of course. I mean, Sean, look at that number. At age 50, you'd have to start saving almost $9,000 a month and save for 17 years to get to $3 million. Yeah, that, that feels a little bit overwhelming, doesn't it? I'm not sure too many people are going to want to sign up for that or even in a position where they could even comprehend, you know, setting aside eight to $9,000 a month. I think the challenge is if, if we start and look out there, as you said, as you painted that picture for Rochelle and said, we've got to try to hit that $3 million mark or whatever that mark is. That's really not the way you want to look at it, right? I mean, the, the best, when you're young, the best thing you can do, your primary goal is really just to save as much as you can, as soon as you can, as long for as long as you can. And then that's where we see the power of compounding. And, and over time, all of a sudden you you know, you start setting that even if it's 50 bucks a month, $100 a month into a Roth or your, your, your you know, employer 401k plan, then you all of a sudden you wake up one day and, and now you're talking big boy money and you're seeing the hundreds of thousands and then o over even more time. Um, it, it, isn't, it isn't really that challenging to get to a million. That's a, a feat to accomplish. But if you put, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of work into that, you're going to hit that mark. What we want to answer today is what do you need to retire? Because we know it looks different for everybody. For some people, it is going to be $5 million because that is the lifestyle that they're accustomed to or that they want to live in retirement. For a lot of people, it's going to be $1 million or even less. So what do you need? Abby, when we sit down with families here at Macro Retirement Planning, the first meeting or one of the first meetings isn't about bank statements and 401k values and savings accounts and, and, and numbers. It's about a retirement vision. Specifically, what is the conversation you have? Well, we like to start and just kind of get people to reflect on what they really want that lifestyle to look like. Because at you know this point in life, they, you're, you're right, they probably haven't budgeted. You know, They don't maybe track their expenses all that closely. So starting off not only with you know, what are the kind of fixed expenses, do you still have a mortgage? You know, we always know that we're going to have some element of healthcare expense built in. But then in addition to that, you know, uh, a lot of times now retirement is seen as the golden years. So 
do they want to travel? Do they want to, you know, maybe their kids are spread out and they want to be able to visit grandkids all over the country or international travel is, you know, a bucket list thing for them, but kind of identifying what some of those bucket list items are. And then, you know, what kind of income does that lifestyle require? Because we don't, most people don't want to just retire and sit at home and, you know, twiddle their thumbs. I think a lot of people envision that as they worked a lot of years and gave a lot of time to these employers and, now is their chance to go and do the things that they never had time to do before. So that's uh, a fun place to start. You know, I think that's a fun conversation to have, but that also helps us from a planning standpoint, then kind of zero in on what that really looks like today and then down the road as well. And another topic we try to find out early is really understand what money means to them. It is not the same to everybody. I think sometimes we just make that, uh, maybe it's another assumption we make that money is so important and that's what's driving us. And it's just not the case. You know, some people do have a legacy plan where they want to, um, you know, achieve their goal and, and leave, you know, a certain sum of money to their children and, and beneficiaries, others, you know, it's not one of their top goals at all. So, you know, money isn't driving. It isn't the same thing to everybody. Some people inherited money, some people are self-made and it just, the, the importance of money, the value money of money is different. And then uh, going back to your point of just, you know, trying to figure out how much we need, something we see often is that we, for the first time, maybe families in their fifties, we ask them to, well, tell us how much are you spending? So, uh, it's common that there isn't visibility to the expenses or the, to the cash flow. They've never really had to budget, right? Some families, not all families, but now we're asking them for the first time, tell us what a monthly, you know, typical month looks like, what's your lifestyle. And then what do you see going forward, you know, and as we get closer to, and then through retirement. And I think about myself right now, I got a little bit until I get to retirement, but does this happen? Cause I've got a vision. I've got a retirement vision guys. Trust me. I, <laughs> I, you know, doing this job, I got to, I'm not positive I have the funds for that vision. <laughs> and that might be the exception, not the rule. Do you sit down with people and their funds and their visions usually line up? Or are there times you have to say, A, you can do more, which I don't suspect will happen to me. Or what you say, now wait, I don't think we have enough to do this. Or if we work another year, what's more common? Or, or what's the, the piece of advice you'd give to the listener? Well, I think the more common conversation is probably that there's more than enough to fund the lifestyle because a lot of families have been diligent in saving and they're used to making those sacrifices and living within their means. You know, that's kind of what's put them in the position that they're in. But there are certainly times too, where you do have to have a conversation, you know, you can't spend $10,000 a month based on these different factors, but you know, here are some things that we could tweak like you'd mentioned, maybe you do work another year or maybe we do something a little different over here. Maybe you work part time, you know, for a couple of years to help get closer to that goal for them. So identifying, you know, what that looks like is all part of the planning process. And that's where we see so much value in the process that we take our families through. I don't I'm not sure how you could possibly answer that question without putting some context around it and having the plan. But we do see it's a wide spectrum. I and mean, we, we have families that come in and they have more than enough, but they're still nervous and aren't ready to pull that trigger on retirement. We see the other side where people have that vision, have these goals. I mean, just recently I'm working with a family and sometimes, you know, the, the tougher conversations, you know, we do have to have them. It's not always just synced up and, and everything looks great. But, you know, working with a family recently and their, and their vision is that they're going to retire at 60. He, he wants to retire on his birthday. Um, you know, the, the plan shows them maybe running out of money in their late eighties, early nineties, but they still, they already live where they want to live for retirement. Um, they're, they're ready to 
you know, take that next step in retirement and the, the plan that doesn't concern them, right? They kind of said they'll figure it out, right? They're, they know health care is, is a significant expense that they're going to need to cover, you know, for a certain gap until Medicare comes in. And, you know, they even talked about how they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they can go work part-time and maybe make enough just to cover that additional expense. And even something like that just makes their plan look that much better. But guys, I want to know exactly how much money am I going to spend in retirement? I've got a million Am I going to spend exactly a million? I mean, that's, you know, what we'd all like to know. Of course, we have no crystal ball. We don't know our last day. But you do, Abby, have some idea of what spending looks like in retirement. And it's not really a straight line. It's kind of more of a, almost like a smiley face. Yeah, we talk about the the go-go years, the slow-go years, and the no-go years. So the go-go years or the early years in retirement, maybe the first decade, because you are younger and you have energy and you want to go and do and travel and live the lifestyle that you've hopefully been dreaming about. And then, you know, mid-70s, you slow down a little bit. Maybe you're not traveling as much. You're not going and doing as much. So you do start spending a little less. Later in life, we often see increased spending again, but on the things that you're not necessarily excited about, like long-term care, health care, um, just medical type expenses. Yeah, I think some of the projections that we just all saw for 2039, they're talking about just just assisted living, not nursing home facilities in in the Midwest where we live at eight to nine thousand dollars a month again if you go into nursing home where there's uh, medical staff uh, available 24 hours a day that could double so clearly sean when you're planning retirement spending for people and how much how much they can spend each month you have to you have to account for that spending to go up in the in the the last stage of life that's why it's you know again as you think about that plan and, and develop the plan that's why it's so important to be aware of maybe what things are fixed and secure versus versus what things still carry risk with them you know we know we, we talk about the pensions we talk about social security we can look at that and say all right this is guaranteed income right i know each family they know they can go spend that amount each month and it's coming right back in the following month we look at expenses. We can control expenses to a point, right? You can control how often you travel or go out to eat, but there's other categories as we're talking about that we can control. We don't necessarily know what health is going to be. We don't necessarily know what inflation is going to be. And those things are very critical to the success and how long that pile of money you've saved is going to last for you. Obviously we have risk in the stock market, right? We, we, there's examples we've talked about that uh, just depending on the timing of the market, the timing of when you retire and then what the market does for those first few years and maybe the you know next several years or even over a 10-year period, again, so critical to how long that money that you've saved will last for you. One great example that we like talking about is that uh, two very same individuals, one retires in 1990, one retired in 2000, and 10 years later, everything else being the same, one individual still had they both started out with 500,000. One individual still had like 1.2 million. It grew during his 10 years. The other individual was somewhere around 100,000, 150,000. And strictly 10 less years in the market, essentially. No, strictly based on timing of the market performance. Everything else was the same. That's why 10 year period in the markets were different. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So yeah, to take back to that's just another risk that we face. It's something that we have less control over, right? We can't control the market, but we need to be aware of those as we develop our retirement plan. 
And that's a part of the process is building out an income plan that our families are comfortable with. And maybe there's an element of income that isn't market dependent. And so we kind of design the portfolio, segment things out in a way where, okay, we know, you know, if you don't have a pension, we have social security, but then maybe we build out another source of income that we know isn't subject to market risk. So worst case scenario, we see, you know, another 2008 where it's a long drawn out recession and the families are comfortable with the level of guaranteed income coming in. So then that takes some of that pressure and eliminates some of that risk of, you know, sequence of return that Sean's talking about. Um, so that's definitely a part of what it is that we are doing when we build out the portfolios. Yeah. Nobody wants to spend their retirement watching the stock market numbers and, and saying, you know, my retirement is completely dependent on what's happening uh, with those stock market numbers or these indexes. So yeah, that, that plan can show them, okay, maybe a little portion. Yeah, there's some here, but there's some more guaranteed income here or some, some, some safer buckets. And that takes my mind. Yeah. That takes my mind to diversification, not a new term, right? We, we hear it in our young and you know, when we're young in our accumulation stage, but diversification means something different in that accumulation stage. We just talked about getting the different asset classes, as we talk about diversification in the retirement planning, it is a different, it has a different meaning. Now we're talking about um, maybe using some of that retirement savings to generate income as part of the income plan. We're going to have some safe money. We always, then we'll still continue to always have money in the market because that is one of the greatest wealth generators over time. So we need to diversify by level of risk and just really by purpose. We're talking today about magical marks, you know, the $1 million being ma- mark being magical, maybe 3 million is the new 1 million. And the reason again, 3 million kind of an attractive number is because we talk about this 4% rate of withdrawal, um, being $120,000 a year. Okay. So let's go back to that 4% rate of withdrawal, that word withdrawal. Every time I say it, I, <laughs> my t- I get tongue tied on that one. Um, I think the problem too with that is a word we haven't introduced yet in this podcast is inflation. You guys have to put inflation in the retirement plan. Yeah, that we, we talk about as we develop that plan that we need to know how much you want to spend on a monthly amount just to have the lifestyle that you want to have, you know, as you get to and through retirement. And then we, we illustrate that out over the course of 20 or 30 or, or maybe 40 years, you know, we hope, we hope to have a long retirement and live forever. And we see that that you know five thousand dollars a month today in about twenty years is already nine ten thousand somewhere in that range. So living the same lifestyle is going to cost us a lot more over time, and that's one of the risks we talk about that we have less control over. I was going to use an inflation example with the things that we all saved up for, but now think about this: Rochelle saved up for a CD. They don't really sell those anymore. I mean, you can get them limited. You saved up for jeans, probably some brand that may not be on the market anymore. <laughs> And I saved up for a Pontiac Grand Prix. I don't think they make Grand Prix anymore. So we can't, I was going to make the example, you know, the CD that cost you $12.99 and what now year? It costs like $21. Yeah, if you do buy it. Yeah, so inflation, jeans, clearly inflation, Pontiac Grand Prix, RIP. Priceless, right? <laughs> They're priceless now. That one that I drove with the sunroof and the CD player was priceless. And what I talked about was college, right? We talk about inflation in certain cost categories. We, we can fairly predict, you know, maybe what just cost of goods, gas, milk, bread, everything. You go to the grocery store, but we talk about the areas of education and healthcare. You know, those levels of inflation are much higher than the other categories of expenses that we're talking about. So harder, harder to predict, harder to know, do we have enough? Yeah, I think I've read with healthcare, it's more like a 6% inflation rate. So double kind of what the cost of most goods and services are. 
Let's go back to $3 million. I've got $3 million in my portfolio. I'm feeling pretty good. That's me. Let's say Rochelle's got a million dollars in her portfolio. You're feeling... I'm feeling pretty good. You're feeling okay too, right? So we both come in. We sit down with Sean and Abby. We show them our portfolios. I'm feeling a little three times better than you are though, let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah. But Sean looks at mine and says, Molly... That three million might feel like a lot, but guess what? And I say, what, Sean? He goes, it's all going to be taxed. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Rochelle over here has got her $1 million. Mostly she's paid taxes on it already. Now who's feeling a little bit more set for retirement? Yeah, that's me. Yeah, Rochelle's feeling (laughs) a lot better. My money is going to Uncle Sam. So again, when we talk about these portfolios and getting to this magic number, that number is not magical anymore if most of it is going to Uncle Sam. So how much is enough, right? So here's just a yet another reason on why it depends, right? Until you start doing the analysis and looking at it and figuring out, well, how much of your savings is in each of the different tax buckets or tax types? I mean, there's certainty versus uncertainty. So in your example, Rochelle's got a million dollars. She is certain that she can spend a million dollars. It's all after-tax money. We've taken, we've taken tax risk completely out of her financial planning picture. You can have the $3 million, and it's all in pre-tax money, and now we're subject to future public policy change, legislative change, and you know, adding Social Security to then any, every distribution, every single dollar you take out of for retirement is going to be taxable income you're in a position of less control, maybe less options, you're uh, you know, going to be less efficient with your money. So in a certain situation, we, yeah, we don't know. Rochelle's $1 million might go farther than your $3 million. So that's where and yet another reason why it's, uh, it's so challenging to uh, try to answer these questions without doing the planning, without doing the process. I mean, it, it is so common that our families come in if they've never worked with an advisor before and they're starting to think more about retirement the top things that they're looking for, we just want confidence, right? We want to know that we've saved enough. We want to know that we can still replace our paycheck from our savings and it's going to last. And they are looking for that comfort and that clarity around the decisions that they're going to be facing for the first time in the next few years as they get to and through retirement. And Sean touched on an important word, control. You know, the thing with these tax deferred accounts is that depending on you know, a lot of different variables, you get to age 72 and now you no longer have control on whether or not you want to pull money out of these accounts. So at age 72, RMDs set in and that's, you know, mandatory force distributions every single year, unless we see a crazy year like 2020 where they actually get to skip the year, you know, if they so choose. But having, you know, the tax diversification built out in the portfolio is going to give you more options, more control on where you pull money from and when. So, you know, let's fast forward, you're 75. And now you have all these different income sources coming in, you can't turn them off. And then, you know, the IRS changes tax legislation. Well, there's nothing that you can do at that point, you are subject to the mercy of those legislative changes. So that's where if we can build out, you know, more options, more control, more tax efficiency and diversification, then that's going to really help have a meaningful impact on how far 
your portfolio will go for you in retirement. And there is a lack of tax planning in this world. I mean, I look at myself as a CPA, always having a passion, kind of interest with numbers and money and finance. And even as I started my working career, the thought was, you know, pay the least amount of taxes in this year. There, there isn't the tax planning out there that needs to be done, right? I mean, we work with our families generally, you know, within 10 years of retirement, so 50s and, and beyond, and they're starting their tax planning for the first time. We don't need to wait until we're doing retirement planning to do tax planning, right? We all are subject to the same tax brackets. We, we're all going to be same, subject to the same tax increases here in 2026 if nothing changes prior to then. It doesn't matter what age you are. You need to start looking at it and go, well, what, when am I going to pay the lower rate or effective rate of taxes? We need to start being intentional with where we're saving our money. You know, we have Roth options. Uh, they're all in front of us now. That wasn't always the case for the prior generations, you know, whether it's the Roth 401k, Roth IRA. So we, uh, no, regardless of what age you are, we need to start thinking more about just tax planning. And I think that's a good action step for anybody listening. So uh, you said it, but I want to make sure it's understood. So the 401k, probably one of the most common employer-sponsored plans that people have today. And when you sign up for that employer-sponsored plan, or if you're already involved in it, check on the Roth option. Sometimes people don't know if they have the Roth option. And then do you guys recommend some in the Roth option and then some, what's the, what's it, if it's not the Roth option, Pre, it's pre-tax the pre-tax option. So people need to probably look at that and at least consider putting some in the Roth if they, if they aren't already. Yeah. Have the conversation. That's where we talk about, we just want to be intentional. So look at your tax situation um, and then just try to make that best decision. You know, figure out what you showed for taxable income in the prior year and understand what your options are. Uh, but yeah, the, the Roth 401k is, is becoming more and more common. It's still fairly new. Um, I think it's been around maybe since 2006 in 401ks. I, I could be wrong, but uh, but more and more common. Large companies picked it up first. It's kind of trickling down to medium companies and small companies because it is a little more costly for the plan. It's a separate you know, record-keeping component. But if, if you have it, if you don't have it, go talk to your HR contact and, and just let them know that you would prefer to have it. And that's a plan change that can be made. So don't feel like you don't have any control or say in it. And that Roth money comes to you then in retirement tax-free. If you don't have a 401k with a Roth option, Abby, another option is a Roth conversion. Yeah, well, a lot of the families we talked to, you know, didn't have access to the Roth bucket, if you will. And maybe in the 70s and 80s when they were saving or starting out to, to save for retirement, it made sense to defer taxes because the tax rates were much higher at that point. Um so my message to them would be it's not too late because we oftentimes can develop and build out some Roth conversions within the plan, which just means you're choosing to buy out the IRS on X amount of money in a given year. So whether they're still working or retired, it doesn't matter. A lot of times people think because they're no longer working, you know, they have no options as far as getting money into the Roth. That's on the contribution side. So with IRA contributions, Roth IRA contributions, you have to have earned income in order to make, put that money in each year. Now the conversions, that's simply, you know, a a choice of how much tax do you want to pay? So there's no limit. There's no income limit like there are on the contribution side. Um, It really gives us a lot of flexibility to take advantage of the historically low tax rate environment that we're in right now and buy out the IRS at as low of a rate as possible. And that's where I think the the power of the planning really comes through on the tax uh, principle is because we can show our families, all right, let's project out based on all these different variables, what tax environment you would potentially be in, you know, in 2026 when rates are set to go up or at your age 72 when those mandatory 
RMDs set in. And then that helps give them the confidence and empowers them to know if I choose to pay more tax this year, then, you know, it's actually probably going to put me in a better position in the long run because I know down the road I'm probably going to be paying at a higher rate. And nobody celebrates paying taxes, but it's something we're going to be doing every year. Um, uh, people can gravitate towards whatever their marginal rate is if they're in that 22% bracket or 24% bracket. They, they kind of can get okay with that and say, okay, I like that rate. That's just where I'm at. So why should we let that go unused for a certain year when that same 24% rate might be 28 or something in the 30s in, the few year, in a few years down the road? Yeah, I think if lawmakers do nothing, taps, cause taxes are subject to increase or the brackets are subject to increase, I think, in 2026 if lawmakers do nothing. So it's something, again, we're definitely talking about, of course, with these um, stimulus packages and, and paying back some of that money as well. Taxes going up is a conversation that's being had uh, not only by retirement planners, but lawmakers and, and voters as well. So we've removed the smoke and mirrors around 3 million, 1 million, these magic numbers. Because really, Sean, retirement planning isn't magic. You don't have a wand. No, there is no magic to it. It's it's about, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail. So what we do is just help provide the context and clarity around that. It can be very challenging to try to answer all these questions and complexities that you're going to face for the first time. The magic can be in that we help you retire just one time because most families do not want to do it more than once. We're here doing it every single day, coming and, and having the plan and, and just being in a better position to make smart decisions along the way can help hopefully make sure that you're only having to retire one time. To talk to one of our retirement planners about your specific situation, your specific goals, and your retirement vision, here is a great option. Go to MerkelPlan.com, that's M-E-R-K-L-E Plan.com, and schedule a 15-minute retirement checkup call. Right there, you can go directly to the calendar of the retirement planners here at Merkel Retirement Planning and get your call scheduled. Another thing you can do if you want more information. So this was just one piece of retirement planning. We have workshops. The workshops are right at that same place, MerkelPlan.com. Click around on there and see if something uh, is, is of interest to you. Those workshops are complimentary. There's one more thing you can do. You can listen to this podcast. It's retiring today. And we thank you for listening. Merkle Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC. A lot of moving pieces, right? Tell me where it all is and, and what it looks like and what your other sources are. And maybe maybe we can feel better about what, what your situation looks like. Yeah, you're not a magician, Sean. No magician. Just nope. just a CPA turned retirement planner. That's right. Which is, which is important. I don't know where to go. You're supposed to do something. <laughs> I was so close. We're close there. <laughs> watch, watch me disappear out the door. <laughs> So we've removed the smoke and mirrors around 3 million, 1 million, these magic numbers, because really, Sean, retirement planning isn't magic. You don't have a wand. <laughs> Look, I gave you a setup. I, I gave you so much. <laughs> Just pick you it up. S- you started laughing as soon as you finished. Because I, I saw your go. face. <laughs> it's okay. I can cover her laugh with like yeah. Harry Potter music. <laughs> 
Can you take it or you want? Do, do you have a wand? <laughs> You're correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>